0: wanna go on a journey, if you're skeptical, don't worry, not here to preach, gonna keep it clean and talk miracles, where faith meets laws of nature, get in touch with your creator, with a bacon, loving Jew, she even speaks Hebrew, what's the So we are back, and I'm going to share how and why this bacon-loving Hebrew-speaking Jew randomly walked into a Christian church a few years ago. But before we get into that, I want to come back to this idea of emptying your cup. And for now, I just want to, again, invite you to forget about everything you think you know, what you think you don't know, or what you think you might not even be interested in knowing, and just open your mind and your heart and your spirit to possibility. And the reason I am and will be reiterating that over and over again is because that's what I needed to hear. I needed permission to just try things on and soak things in and chew on ideas at my own pace without being pressured or persuaded or having someone try to convert me because Lord knows that would have just pushed me away. And I remember hearing about this concept of seeing things with childlike wonder, which totally resonated with me when I first started exploring, but also this idea of renewing my mind. And I'll definitely come back to both of those concepts. But also, just keep in mind, my time without God was a lot longer than my time with God. And if you think that you're cynical or skeptical or far gone or broken – I felt all of those things too at some point in time and heck I felt those things for most of my life if I'm honest and that's why again I'm inviting you to meet yourself exactly where you are on your own journey without judgment and shame and without trying to convince or coerce or persuade yourself into anything and definitely without worrying about whether you're doing it air quotes right. And I'll share more about this in this episode, but when I first went on this quest for surrender, which led me to seek God, words and language were extremely important to me. And coming from my background in all things brain and nervous system, the meanings associated with words have the power to create either positive or negative neuro associations in our brains. And that's why when it comes to the words and language that I'm using, I want you to meet yourself where you are, and so I may use the word God or Jesus, but at one point, those words were a stretch for me, and yes, I'll admit, probably even a turnoff for me, because it was really just out of my scope of experience and and just didn't resonate with me yet. So as I'm using words like God or Holy Spirit or or Jesus, you can interchange it with spirit or universe or higher power or source because I truly believe that experiencing the knowingness of who you are and stepping into your true worth is the most important thing here. And if you need to change some language in your own inner conversations to have it resonate, then I am totally cool with that. And I'll be sharing along the way how I've integrated the spiritual side of things into the work I do with women and teens I work with in my stressless eating program, but I am constantly having to meet people where they are based on their own past experiences or lack of experience or whatever it is. And so I've had clients who were kind of, you know, burned by their childhood experiences of faith, and it was a touchy spot for them, you know, even if they truly desire deeper connection with God. And I've had women who I Identify as Christians, but they were carrying around so much shame that they kind of had, you know, shame about their shame and felt like bad Christians because of how far they felt from God. And I've had fellow Jews who just like me, you know, God and Jesus or any other faith based conversations were just not a part of their culture. So they needed to start with something like higher power. And you'll learn that when I first encountered this Jesus guy, as I call him, I replaced it with the word universe at first. And then eventually I used the word God because that's where I was in my journey. So right now, I just invite you to choose the word or words that resonate with you. And every time you hear me say God or Jesus, just fill it in with what resonates with where you are in your journey right now, because what I want you to get is the magic. Okay, And trust me, God will show you the words to a Align what you say and mean with what you feel. Because like I shared in the last episode, most of my life, I had zero relationship with God. And honestly, other people that talked about God, it was a total turnoff to me for the same reason that it's a challenging subject for a lot of people. And I honestly just thought that I had come as far as I was going to come in terms of self-acceptance and seeing myself through the eyes of love of human eyes. And now I know what it's like to really borrow the eyes of God and actually see myself as perfect And whole and complete right now, like not having to go hustle for it or work for it or someday get there as I'm putting quotation marks up with my fingers. But I digress. So how did I get from there to here? And how did this bacon-loving Hebrew-speaking Jew end up stumbling into a church and more or less accidentally find God? Well, that's where I want to connect some dots for you. So growing up in Florida, there were always other Jewish kids around. But when I moved to Tennessee back in 2016, I started realizing that I was the only Jewish person I knew. In fact, I lost count of how many times people told me that I was the first Jewish person they had ever met and as it would be for anyone new to the bible belt i started seeing churches on every corner i turned and hearing terms like god fearing and giving your life over to jesus so when i went seeking god and being the music lover that i've always been it makes sense that my first thought was okay nashville it's a music city i wonder if they have good worship music But again, remember, I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't even looking for faith. For whatever reason, I was searching for the word surrender. So let me back up so this all makes sense. Now, just for context for you, I have never been a religious Jew by any sense. So just like most Jewish Americans, I was, you know, sent to Sunday school and Hebrew school and I had a bat mitzvah, but it was never anything I was really interested in or sought out for myself. I just went because that's what we did in my family. I will say this, though, being Jewish was definitely always a source of pride for our family and for me, for sure, like the culture and the sacrifice of the Jewish people and the history of the Holocaust, especially. I mean, I had family that died and escaped Europe during World War II. But also the heritage and the customs and the holidays and the Hebrew language. And yes, I speak a decent amount of Hebrew, which I'll explain. And Israel. I love Israel. And I've lived there three times, which I'll also explain. But God, not even a little bit. Okay, so Judaism was never a connection to God for me. It was never faith. In my eyes, it was just a culture and simply part of who I am. Definitely a really proud part. But in my eyes, I was Wasn't religious or very Jewish as we used to say as kids. And God, it wasn't even a topic in conversations that I remember. Now, I know I just said that I speak Hebrew and lived in Israel three times, but that I'm not that Jewish. So, for clarity's sake, let me address that. So, full transparency the reason I know Hebrew is because I was kind of a slacker in college. So, At the University of Florida, where I went to school, my brothers told me that if you already know how to read and write Hebrew, which I did from my Hebrew school days, that Hebrew was just an easy A for college credit. So yeah, you better believe I signed up and I took Hebrew 1. But then I honestly just loved it. And I went on to take Hebrew 2 and Hebrew 3. Then after college, I was one of those people that didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So for a few years, I would just go work odds and ends jobs and save up enough money to buy one-way tickets to live and work overseas. And then I would do that until I ran out of money and then come back to the USA and get a job and make more money and just do that all over again. I did that a total of three times, just, you know, working and traveling around the world as a kind of broke backpacker living on a shoestring and eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches until I was finally ready to become an adult, as I remember saying. And that's when I moved back to the U.S. and I started my first business. And the rest, as they say, is history. But during those nomadic years, one of my side hustles was working at a Jewish summer camp in the Berkshire Mountains in Massachusetts, where half the international staff was Israeli. So not only did I make a ton of Israeli friends, but I also got to practice my mediocre at best Hebrew with them. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, it was also kind of fun to have conversations without the campers knowing what we were saying. But yes, that's how Hebrew came into play for me. And again, though, no connection to God or faith at this point in time in my life. So then why Israel? Well, when I was in, I think, probably fourth grade, my oldest brother would have been in 10th and he was getting into trouble. And, you know, nothing crazy, just bad grades and hanging out with the wrong crowd, that kind of thing. And it did get to that point where my parents wanted to do something kind of extreme to, you know, wake him up a bit or grow him up or mature him or whatever things parents try to do when they're just concerned about their teenage son and they're just trying to figure out what the heck to do. So not wanting to do anything drastic like sent him to boarding school or anything like that. And since my parents were always kind of trying to get us to hang out with more Jewish kids, like that was a thing, they sent my brother to this program called High School in Israel. And HSI or High School in Israel, it's this study abroad program where you learn about the history of Israel, but it's not a religious program. So you live in these co-ed dorms with other high schoolers and it's part classroom, but you're also kind of using the land of Israel as as the classroom as well. And so, yeah, my parents kind of used this program as this attempt to straighten my brother out. And according to them, he came back this changed man, like all grown up. And they were so happy that they sent him. And that made them decide then and there that all four of us kids would go for various reasons. So I always knew since I was pretty young that my junior year of high school, I would be going to Israel. And if I'm totally honest, I was not super excited. And I know that might sound weird or ungrateful but as a kid and teenager that didn't excite me like I just pictured deserts and camels because I had no idea what Israel was actually like but it had been decided and I went and no surprise here it was life-changing for me in my own way and that is when I absolutely fell in love with the land of Israel but still no God no faith none of that side of it so on the program we had these college age counselors that were kind of like dorm RAs and I remember thinking like I want to do that when I'm their age. It was kind of like a camp counselor, but overseas, which was totally up my alley. So many moons later, after I graduated from college, and remember, by this point, I had had all of these amazing experiences with Hebrew and a ton of Israeli friends from camp. And I was already in that nomadic travel mode. So I did it. I applied to work there. And they said no. (laughs) I know, right? How dare they? But they said no because they wanted somebody who spoke Hebrew and who already lived in Israel so they could interview them in person. But I was not taking no for an answer, and I was at least going to fight for it. So I reached back out, and I was like, hey, I'm not fluent, but I definitely know a good amount of Hebrew. And if you want, I'll fly there, and I'll interview in person. Like, that's how serious I was about getting the job. And it worked. They actually appreciated my persistence and made it clear that they were going out on a limb to offer me the position. But you better believe I accepted it right away. I was like, come on. Yes, let's do this. So now I got to go back to Israel again as an adult. And let's be honest, I was probably still more girl than woman. But it was super cool to go there as a 20-something college grad, you know, living out in the real world. I went back and worked for them a total of three times, and one of those times, I went a few months early, and I went to Haifa in the north, where I found an apartment, and I enrolled in this thing called an ulpan, which is this intensive Hebrew study at the University of Haifa. So I had this amazing life in Israel, a job I loved, friends from camp, so this amazing social circle, and an Israeli boyfriend, which is a subject for another episode on its own, but this absolute love for Israel, and the Jewish people and Hebrew, but still no God. And none of this was God or faith for me. And like I said before, I didn't even realize at the time that I didn't have God. So there's your context. I'm a full-blown, as in both my parents are Jewish, Israel-loving, Hebrew-speaking Jew with no connection to God. But here I am talking about God, sharing how my newfound relationship with God has completely transformed my life, and literally sharing it all here on this podcast. But know this. Yes, my active faith started about four years ago, but little did I know, and you'll learn this from my story, I've had something with me and inside me all along— Even if I wasn't calling it faith and something was pushing and protecting and guarding and loving me all along, even if I didn't call it God. But you also might be wondering, like, what happened in between to get me to this point? Like, that's a really big jump, right? And that's where I now see that it wasn't a big jump and that God had been planting those seeds the whole time without me knowing it. And that's why I actually wanna take a bit of a detour for a minute and tell you about bamboo. And I know that is so random, right? But it will all make sense and come full circle, I promise. So there's this idea of being an overnight success or an overnight anything. And bamboo is actually a plant that people think grows really fast. And it does actually grow really, really fast at its prime, but it's deceiving because legend has it, or if you can just Google it, that apparently if you plant bamboo seeds, the first three to five years, it almost looks like there's nothing there and that nothing is happening because everything is happening underground. But any wise bamboo farmer would know to keep watering the bamboo and make sure it has daylight and nutrient-rich soil and all of that good stuff because apparently around the third to fifth year, just depending on the type of bamboo, the bamboo finally peeps its head out from underground and starts growing. And then in its prime, it grows really, really fast, sometimes growing an inch and a half an hour. I mean, really, really fast. And so again, to an outsider, it looks like it grew overnight. But what you can't see is everything that's been happening underground and how long it actually took. And a lot of people look at my life and they think that by making over my body and losing all that weight that I was some overnight success. Or you know, I've had people mention my business and my accomplishments, including this podcast, and assume that it was just this overnight success. And then now my faith journey, it just looks like all of a sudden it appeared to me. But here's what I say about that. The seeds get planted and the growth often happens underground. So for example, when it comes to my body, I haven't been society's definition of overweight in a long time. It's been something like 15 years. But 15 years ago, when I lost the weight, you would probably have looked at my body and you wouldn't have known that I wasn't happy and confident after losing a third of my body weight. But as I shared on the last episode, I lost all this weight, but I still never shifted my identity and the self-image and the body image that was causing me to think and act and feel and behave like I was still caring around a lot more weight on my body than I was. And so my self-image was still wearing those fat goggles filled with toxic shame, even though my appearance was dramatically different. It was like this body dysmorphia that I didn't know how to deal with, and I went underground to go heal that, but that's the part that you don't see and that a lot of people don't talk about when they share the highlight reels of their lives. But it's also the part of our stories that if there is toxic shame still present, it will keep you from sharing those parts of you because the one thing that shame loves is secrecy. And now I'm here sharing my truthful experiences, and you're getting to see the fruits of my labors of going on that healing journey, but it's all that stuff that you didn't see that made it all possible. So here I am today, and trust me, I still have my own stuff, and I'm still on my own journey with my self-image and my own body, but now I see that as this miraculous opportunity rather than a burden. My business is another great example of this. You know, people look at me today and they're like, wow, she just like, you know, exploded overnight. And I'm like, uh, no, where were you 15 years ago when I was going through everything that I was going through and failing a thousand times before I found what actually worked? And what most people don't know is that, yeah, my first business was seemingly successful overnight because I was in the fitness industry and I didn't have to reinvent the wheel and I could just take a business model that was proven and just kind of make it better or just make it my own or Leanne eyes it. And that's exactly what I did. And yes, that first chapter of my business did move forward pretty quickly. But what happened after that was absolutely a product of the bamboo principle. Because what I do today and the messages that I'm sharing in my stressless eating curriculum, there was no proven model. There was no system that I could follow. In fact, there was a multi-billion dollar industry spreading the exact opposite of what I was sharing, that dieting and weight loss will magically solve your problems. But the work that I do with women to help them heal the bigger problem, nope. That came from new seeds that I had to start over with and plant and water and tend to every day for years before I could see the fruits of its labor. But also, and here's where I'll come back to this faith conversation, even though I didn't have God necessarily or just didn't know that I did, I can look back at everything that happened and see where God had my back and see where he was filling in the gaps for me. And I was never alone, even when I felt like I was. So for example, continuing with the faith that was needed to transition from what I used to do professionally to what I do now, so I mentioned that I got to that point where I realized for myself that I was following a broken model and teaching to a lot of women a dangerous mindset. You know, the whole eat less, move more, harder, faster, more mentality really messed me up and kept me from healing what needed to be healed in the long run. And now I know it kept me so far away from God and pursuing idols and chasing words like skinny and this is not dogging the health and fitness industry at all because there's a lot of good there and I believe everything can be used as a tool or a weapon and who I was at the time was using food and exercise as a weapon and it harmed me but it wasn't the food or the exercise it was my thoughts and beliefs and the wiring in my brain around those things But like I shared in the last episode, I didn't know any of that at the time, and I wasn't just teaching it. I had become like this recognized expert in all of that stuff. Now, this was before the times of Instagram, but I was all over TV and magazines and newspapers and radio shows, which also caused me to chase things like fame as an idol. So I was very deeply entrenched in that industry and obviously the kind of superficial side of it too. And at the height of it, after realizing how out of alignment I was with myself and who I wanted to be as a teacher and a mentor and a coach, I decided to shut everything down and people thought I was crazy. And yes, I I actually thought I was a little bit crazy too, but here's the part of the story that I never really shared because again, I didn't necessarily know how to explain it. And of course, toxic shame kept me from sharing it. So rewind about 10, 11 years ago, and I'm still living in Florida. And I had this moment where I'm on a paddleboard on Lake Orienta, which was my backyard at the time. And I was listening to Sarah Bareilles and on came this song Hercules that I had probably heard a hundred times before that, probably more. So many times that I took it upon myself to Google to learn about Hercules because I had no idea who Hercules was. And among other things, the one thing I remember reading that stuck out was that, yeah, he was a warrior and a fighter, but he didn't fight for the sake of fighting, okay? He fought when he needed to, you know, to like save lives or defend lives. And in my mind, he was a warrior with purpose, And so even though I had heard that same song about a 100 times, this particular day, the words hit me like a ton of bricks, and it sent me straight down to my knees, as in, it wasn't this voluntary thing. All of a sudden, I'm on my knees, weeping, bawling my eyes out. And I actually want to read some of the lyrics specifically that hit me so hard that day. And so it goes like this. I miss the days my mind would just rest quiet. My imagination hadn't turned on me yet. I want to disappear and just start over. So here we are and I'll breathe again. Another verse went, I've lost a grip on where I started from. I wish I'd thought ahead and left a few crumbs. I'm on the hunt for who I've not yet become, but I'd settle for a little equilibrium. And then she sings, There is a war inside my heart, gone silent, both sides dissatisfied and somewhat violent. The issue I have now begun to see, I'm the only lonely casualty. This is not the end though. And then the chorus went, Cuz I have sent for a warrior from on my knees, make me a Hercules. I was meant to be A warrior, please, make me a Hercules. And this time, the probably 100th time, the words of that song sent me crashing straight down to my knees, bawling, sobbing, and left kneeling on a paddleboard in a puddle of my own tears. Because I knew it, I had to go find the version of myself that I had not yet become. And the war inside my head gone silent was because I didn't want to fight the weight loss battle or the battle of the bulge anymore. My heart was, well, for the heart. I wanted to help women with the battle in their minds and the battle in their hearts. And now I know I had to first end the battle in my own mind, body, and spirit. And that was my surrender. That line from On My Knees, Make Me a Hercules, that song to me was was my way of talking to God and asking for help and asking for a lifeline. And again, it was through music. And there I was down on my knees sobbing and praying for help, even though, yes, I didn't call it praying then and I wouldn't have told you I was talking to God. But now I know I was. And my search for surrender, which I mentioned at the beginning of this, that's truly the day that lit a fire in me. So after I was done, I paddled back to shore. I walked in my house and I made a bold decision. And it was the hardest decision of my life at that time. And to some people, they probably wouldn't have called it bold. They probably would have called it stupid or some other expletives. But just to paint that picture, like I said, at this time in my life, I was at the top of my game. So it was a shock to anyone that knew me. You know, I had this successful fitness studio and a six-figure income and a team working for me. And I had this amazing community of women that I was the leader of. And I also had a weekly TV segment that I was their, air quotes, fitness guru for nearly four years every single Saturday, even though deep down I did not feel like one at all. And it wasn't just TV. I was in magazines and newspapers also being called this fitness expert. And so I went from that to suddenly realize that I was part of the problem, that I was teaching women this diet mentality and the eat less, move more mentality. And in general, this conversation that I knew didn't even equate to true and lasting peace of mind and freedom. And in that moment, on my knees, on my paddleboard, in a puddle of my own tears, is when I decided to shut it all down and step out into the unknown and at least take the first step into my future, having no idea that it would lead me to what I'm doing now. I just knew that I had to take a different path. And that was not easy, leaving you know, my place of certainty for total uncertainty. And people would ask me, they're like, what are you going to do? And I would just be like, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And they're like, how are you going to make money? And I was like, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And now I see that that was faith, even if I didn't call it that. That knowingness in the midst of it all, I didn't call it faith back then, but that was me trusting in God. And that was me having faith, believing in what I couldn't yet see or taste or smell or touch or even comprehend with my human mind. So fast forward to October 2018, about five years after the paddleboard incident and a lot of amazing things transpired in between. But because I'm human and that's how transformation works, I found myself back on my knees in surrender once again. And the details of that aren't really relevant right now. But this time it was in a different way. But nonetheless, I was back on my knees in tears and something inside of me again was like, I need to surrender. And this time, the idea came to my mind and I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe I want God. I I don't know. I was, I was perplexed myself, but it's the first time I was like, wait, do I want God? Maybe. And it was definitely lots of question marks more than exclamation marks. But this idea of maybe I want God crossed my mind. But again, I hadn't fully gotten there yet. The word surrender just kept coming up, like surrender, surrender, like this feeling of please save me. I can't do this on my own anymore. And I don't want to do this on my own anymore. So there I was looking for the word surrender yet again and probably the Sarah Borellis version of it, but I went looking for it. This time though, I was I was kind of thinking I was going to look for God and again it wasn't clear yet. But for whatever reason, I didn't want to go to a temple or a synagogue. And living in Nashville, I was like, well, I bet we have really good church music here. So I just asked around to some friends, like, who has the best worship music in town? And a few different people said I should check out Crosspoint. So, of course, my first natural response was, are Jews just allowed to walk into a church? (laughs) Because I honestly had never been in. I was like, are Jews just allowed to walk in? And they laughed and they were like, yes, of course. In fact, their tagline is, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect in any thing is possible. And so I was like, "Ah, everybody's welcome. That means Jews are welcome, too. Let's do this. And of course, we all had a little chuckle about that. So I immediately called my friend Kevin, who I've known for nearly 15 years and who is not only one of the wisest and most influential people in my life, but ironically, he's the one person who has been speaking to me since I've known him about scripture and the power of Jesus And I always regarded him as insanely wise, like, you know, beyond gifted and crazy intelligent, wise for his years, all of that. But in all honesty, I just wasn't interested in all the Jesus stuff that he was talking about, right? So I kind of compartmentalized his wisdom. So I called him and I was just like, hey, I want to go to church, but I'm really scared to just walk in. Will you come with me? And I went on to share that there's this place called Crosspoint and they're supposed to have the best worship music and I just want to check it out. And that was a big heck yes from him, okay? He was so excited and so honored. You know, he would never, ever push faith onto me. He was always just inviting me into bigger conversations, but he was so excited that I wanted to go. So we walked into Crosspoint and I just immediately got goosebumps like just walking into the auditorium hearing the worship music and simply being there it really just moved me genuinely but that wasn't enough for Kevin and he wanted me to experience it from up front and he walked me right up to the second row where there were two empty seats and sat me down right there. And like I said, I loved the music immediately, but I have to admit, because I really wasn't raised around the word Jesus and songs about Jesus and the story of Jesus. So for me to be praying to Jesus and hearing the word Jesus and all the songs, it definitely felt a bit weird to me. So I just gave myself permission to replace the word Jesus in all the songs with the word universe. And with that little tweak, it all totally resonated with me, like big time resonance. And, you know, the messages themselves all resonated, but the word Jesus was just simply new to me, right? Regardless, I was totally intrigued and completely moved, like goosebumps moved. I can't even describe it. So after the worship team sang a few songs, Pastor Kevin, which is the second Kevin that you'll meet, he came out to preach. And I now say that I came for the music and stayed for Pastor Kevin's sermon because, wow, he just spoke to me. So I had never had a pastor before, so obviously he was my first, and I just immediately loved his message, and I loved his self-deprecating humor, like he's not afraid to make fun of himself, and I loved how he would share about his family and help us learn through the eyes of his own life experiences, and I just loved that to me, he was just showing me this picture of Jesus and just essentially saying to me, like, hey, try it on, or th- that's really at least how I took it. Now, keep this in mind, too, as you're listening, you know, to us Jewish kids growing up, we didn't hear about Jesus. Or if we did, it was kind of in this context of Jesus being like the Easter bunny. And I hate to say it, but that's really how it was for us. So for me, that's exactly what my first step had to be. You know, I had to simply try it all on. And, you know, so I I tried on this story, you know, this idea that God sent his son to die for our sins and take away our shame and our guilt and our self-condemnation. So that was the first year you know, piece of the story that I tried on. And I tried on this idea that there is a way to allow me to kind of rebirth myself and not have to walk around with all of that shame any longer. And, you know, to step into this idea that I'm whole and complete right now and that I don't have to go work for it or lose weight for it or create more business or financial success for it, that, you know, I'm just whole and complete right now and that God loves me right now. And it's this kind of love that I cannot even fathom with my own eyes. And that's basically the gist of the story that I just started trying on. So when I heard all of that, I was like, yes, I will try that on happily. Like, give it to me. Give me more. And from there on out, I just immersed myself in these concepts for the months to come. And I didn't care about labels or whether I was a good Jew or a bad Jew or doing Christianity right or wrong. I I just immersed myself in the scripture and the worship music. And I went to church every chance I could get. And Sundays became like my favorite day. Like I never missed a service and I just felt at home there. Now, here's where I'll be the first to say that, yes, could I have found God through Judaism or temple? Yes, I'm sure I could have, but I didn't, or I wasn't ready to, or whatever it was. Judaism just never equated to God or faith to me. And the God that I pray to, he doesn't care if I get it from a church or a temple, from a pastor or a rabbi. He's just glad that after 35 years, I was there and I was starting a conversation with him now. And that's at least what I say about it anyways. So. That is where I'll leave off for right now, but I promise to tell you all about what happened next when I just dipped my toes into Christianity and got to know this guy called Jesus. We'll be back with more What's God Got To Do With It? But in the meantime, I would definitely love to hear from you. So just tell me where you are in your story or maybe what questions you have. Like, where do you feel you need clarity or support or wisdom in your own journey? I definitely want to hear from you. So head on over to What's God Got To Do With It and scroll down to the form to share your thoughts, your questions, your feedback, and you can do that instantly. So What's God Got To Do With it.com. You'll find all the ways to do that. And if you like this podcast and want to hear more, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get your weekly dose of What's God Got to Do With It? New episodes drop every single Tuesday. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review to show your support. It really means so much. What's God Got to Do With It? is an iHeartRadio podcast on the Amy Brown Podcast Network. It's written and hosted by me, Leanne Ellington. Executive produced by Elizabeth Fazio. Post-production and editing by Houston Tilley. And original music written by Cheryl Stark and produced by Adam Stark.